Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Veth. And as always, I'm joined by the man all across the way, the pond. He's uh, somewhere off in some snowy wasteland, um, probably stuck um, in meters of snow, freezing, freezing cold. Um, Andrew Flint, the man from Siberia, our Russian football expert. Andrew, how's it going? Uh, well, not too bad, thanks, Manny. Not too bad. I've um, working from home. I've not actually had to go outside today, so I'm nice and toasty and warm. So I'm imagining, picturing myself on some decking, looking out over the water on Vancouver Island, somewhere like that. You know, that's what it feels like. Yeah, I, I do imagine that sometimes too, and then I'll just go outside and do it. Um, that's basically <laughs> my. <laughs> oh God, damn it! I lasted one minute before you got that thing. In knew it was coming i let myself in for every week and i never learned i you know for me this this is really funny because the entire rest of the country is of course fighting a polar vortex so i have no idea what it is but apparently it's in in a lot of places in this country it's colder than on the north pole um yeah this is the thing man you're a very intelligent man you're well read you've studied um you have a phd and yet you don't understand what snow and cold is so you know, one day you'll learn. I, I am going back to Germany <laughs> next week, so I'll, I'm pretty sure I'll find out about snow um, and the cold very quickly. Apparently, they're having record snowfalls in uh, in Germany, so which is great. I'm looking forward to it. Some skiing, um, watching some football while freezing uh, my butt off at the at the Allianz Arena. But they had, you know, Andrew, they have this great buffet at halftime, so it's all good. Oh, for God's sake! We've already <laughs> hit two of the football grand podcast bingo scores already. Wait, uh, did you, you, you what, what was it? The draft draft beer on tap in the press room they have there? Yeah, yeah. I I think that's oh, wait, that's like, actually real. Yeah, that's actually. Wait, hang real. on, you weren't you actually weren't joking? I was not joking. I thought you were joking about that. No, any listeners who haven't heard, if you haven't followed Football Grad, um, this is what Manu loves to do. He loves to completely wind me up because out in Siberia, press rooms involve literally that a room. And if you're lucky, you get a kettle. That's about it. And Manu, meanwhile, is um, too busy eating the food and the, the three-course, you know, uh, Michelin star st- food that they serve in German press boxes. And apparently now they have draft beer as well. I thought it was a wind-up, but no, it's serious. Sometimes that's it's just hell. a fridge full of beer, though, Andrew. Oh, that's uh, it. Oh, you've got to open the bottle yourself. Oh, poor you, Manu. <laughs> oh, crying out loud. So, uh, and then, Sam, where, where do you say you had the wine on tap? Yeah, they, so Bayern post game, they also hand out bottles of wine. Tim, Tim, don't encourage him. He doesn't need any more encouragement than this. Uh, Tim Bokterjev, everyone. Yeah, Tim. So the reason why I'm saying this, um, because you know the Vancouver Whitecaps asked asked what they want to have, what they should change around, you know, the non field experience, and I suggested they should have beer on tap in the press room. I totally agree with you. Everything except that the beer is good, the food is good there, everything is nice, but yeah, the, we're, we, the beer on tap would be a good addition to the menu. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, we should. At least post-game, right? I mean, I, I get yeah. it why before the game, you know, you want to, you, you need to cover the game, but I think after the game, like some, some draft beer, they can get a deal done with one of the thousands of breweries in Vancouver and... 
Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Andrew, do you agree with us? My microphone isn't switched off. I'm just trying to be pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we lost him there. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, next time... Next time we come back to Team Game, maybe you should post for the listeners uh, the you know the the press box experience. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'll tell you what. Last comment on this subject. I win hands down. You may well have you know whatever it is. I don't even want to imagine what the menu is, but it'll be disgustingly <laughs> luxurious. But but and I mean a big but. You will never have a Tumen Shauma as good as what I have. So I win basically. But you have to pay for it, right? Probably at the kiosk. Oh god, okay, you do win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The pictures are coming soon, Andrew. I, I'm I'm heading over there in a week, and then the, the white cap season is starting, and I'm sure we will have a night. Our WhatsApp chat will will include many many good food items. So, you know, at least you get to see it. <laughs> oh god, I just I can't wait. I can't wait for your smug faces as you post these endings. <laughs> Yeah, but, but guys, boys, boys, enough about the press room food, um, which in most places is excellent. At least, you know, most places that the Football Guard Network covers, uh, some, there's some exceptions. Um, we usually send Andy to those. And, um, so I, I want to kind of leave, leave that out now. Um, we have to have to discuss some f- actual football on the pitch. And Andrew, this, this, I'm going to start with you because this took place in Qatar. And I know you had a great food experience at the Qatar Pavilion in, in Moscow during the World Cup. So, uh, no, that's true. Yeah, that's, it's, it's true. You know, we smuggled you into the press box there so you could actually eat something <laughs> nice. Um, so I want to start <laughs> with you on this match TV cup that's now concluded. Um, before we get into the actual results, what's your overall thoughts on this tournament? Well, I mean, we, we talked about this last week and possibly mentioned it even a, a couple of podcasts ago, but I think the, the concept is, is very good. Um, the the venues that they use, they use the facilities, for stunning facilities at the Aspire Academy, at least for some of the training and I believe one or two of the games as well. Um, and, you know, you, you saw a, a small crowd watching, but it, it filled the stands that were on display. Um, I think I even saw the Bayern Munich women's team who are out there training um, for yeah, quite a few yeah. other sports events as well. I think there's the start of the European Tour Golf is is in uh, the UAE at the moment. So it's it's a time when a lot of sport happens in the region. And I think there's no reason why Russian football shouldn't get a, a slice of the action there, to be honest. Um, getting the teams out there is, well, it's, it's a no-brainer, really. Um the um, yeah, a bit of prize money, a bit of warm weather, take it more seriously. Like we we covered those points last week, but I think what needs to improve perhaps is to expand it because I think with the four teams, it was the first time they'd done this with top four teams anyway um, for some time anyway, uh, and I think they perhaps didn't take it desperately seriously. Now I'm not saying they should go hell for leather and inch themselves before the season starts, but I think. The interest would rise a lot more um, if they maybe only had it, say, the top eight teams qualify. You know, just do it bit by bit. Um, but um, yeah, interesting to see Roman Yeremienko um, sidle onto the pitch again. Um, somehow, I don't think that's going to last much either. But nevertheless, it was a chance to see him. So, and I don't really see any downsides to it so far. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm sure Tim will agree, given the score in the final. Yeah, before we, we get to the actual results, though, um, there's been a lot of criticism about clubs going to Qatar to train there. Um, the Bayern Munich fans, Bayern, of course, spent the the winter there as well, right, to, to prepare for the second half mm-hmm. of the season. And Bayern fans in particular have been very, very outspoken against going to Qatar because of the human rights situation in the country. Um, there was a banner, banner that was lifted up at the Allianz Arena Showing Rummenigge and Hoeneß, um, having, you know, the, the, having their view blocked by money and saying excellent training facilities, great conditions to train. And, you know, every, every year they go to Qatar, there has been this criticism. Um, I don't, you don't see much of that with the Russian clubs, do you, Andrew? 
Um, well, no, you, Manny, you're right. We don't, and uh, I'm. I know it's. I know I probably should be clear on this, but I have to admit, I'm not actually. I'm a little bit more conflicted than the Bayern fans. I'm not. I'm not criticising them whatsoever. But I mean, on one hand, yes, it's it's very very clear that the human rights issues in Qatar need addressing. Um, but you know, you mentioned the the Qatar Pavilion in Moscow that you and I visited during the World Cup, and we spoke to a couple of construction workers who we met there, and they were very adamant that the conditions had improved greatly. Now, I'm not, it's, it's, that's never really going to be a finished task, shall we say? Um, they should always be looking to improve the conditions out there. Um, but the other hand is. Look, I mean, if you're going to take a moralised stance against training in somewhere like Qatar, then you're going... I'm not, I don't want to say a slippery slope, because that suggests that it's a bad thing to do, but it is a very quick route towards ruling out a lot of places around the world. Um, Turkey has been a very popular place for Russian clubs in winter, for winter training camps in the past, and, and there have been, well issues shall we say um even in recent years two or three years ago we had the diplomatic incident of course and um, and the the fact is that if you really will look hard enough you can find problems debatable issues moral issues in a lot of countries so um there's a small part of me as well that thinks if a place does have issues such as human rights abuse issues that have been um, leveled at Qatar, then I think rather than shy away from the country, shining the light more on them is in the long term, and I do mean long term, is if anything going to be a positive thing because people's attention will be brought to the country. Look at what we've literally just done. Because of what the Bayern fans were doing, and I think they're a good part of it, they've raised awareness of an issue that had Bayern not gone to Qatar, possibly wouldn't have been spoken about. Now, I'm not, I, I know that's possibly not the it's not the whole story of course but i think there are some positives to be taken from it so i know some people will disagree with me but i i actually strongly believe this um mm. that it's it's not as, as simple and clear cut as just qatar equals bad therefore don't visit qatar yeah um so you know what i mean yeah it, it, i think it's it's a very it, this is this has been a topic i i've been going back and forward on to be quite honest, I, mean, I remember us talking about. I mean, we had a podcast about Qatar and the the, the World Cup going the next right um, that we recorded with Ori Levy um, in Moscow at that mm. right outside that pavilion, and it's been. I mean, that that general topic has been something that um, I've been thinking about a lot because um, I think the the criticisms that Russia received before the World Cup while were oftentimes over the top, right? Um, they, because there were many things that, that were rightfully pointed out and, um, in many ways also addressed. Now I, I, I wonder with Qatar, we're pointing out those things, but it doesn't seem to be quite as fervent as it was with Russia. At the same time, it should be though. I mean, we don't have the thousands of people dying on construction sites than we did in, we didn't have that in Russia, but we have that now in Qatar. And I think that is something that needs to be addressed. So for clubs to just go there and train, okay, I get that. It's football. There's good academies there, et cetera. You can train there under perfect conditions, but at least address it, right? Don't just take the money because a lot of clubs are going there not only just to train, but because they actually get paid to train there. So in, in, in that regard, that is something I do wonder about if, if clubs have a moral and social responsibility to point this out. I mean, that's what football clubs are in many ways. They are, they are founded as institutions that are supposed to provide social initiative, right? And as such, I think they should also highlight that in some ways. It's, it's a, it's a curious debate. I mean, this is, this is something that can go back and forward. And I, I think there is no right or wrong answer, but I'm just curious. I mean, Tim, I want to bring you in on this as well. What do you think about it? What do you think? What's your stance on the whole Qatar issue and the, the fact that clubs are playing and training there? 
Well, it's a hard question really to discuss because, uh, okay, let's say, for example, the German fans there against, uh, you know, Bayern going there. But the World Cup is going to happen there anyway. So, you know, like, are they against the national team going as well? Uh, should Germany not go there and perform at the World Cup? I don't think so. So it's a very hard topic to discuss. I don't think how it is could be really addressed. But I think uh, you have the point. The footballers, like uh, the actual players, and the coaches, I don't think they really have like a say. They they're really looking for conditions to for a good place to get ready for the season. So they might have an opinion, but again, they I don't think they will really be too outspoken. Uh, it has to come somewhere from the management of the club if the club feels like that they need to address that. Yeah, they should. They probably should. Um, and they, but at the same time, it's kind of weird to go to a place to train, and then publicly say negative things about it. So it's, I think, it's a pretty, uh, you know, dicey situation, and uh, I, I don't see really an easy uh, way out out of this because really, because um, for example, I know that the hospitality of uh, the, the the tournament, which we will discuss. Um, in Qatar was top level and the, the clubs were really really welcome and uh, they had all the conditions and everything at their availability and, and all the clubs said that so it's you know it's also kind of you know that's, that's not the Russian way I know because I, I was born the Russian way it's not really Russian way the hospitality if you go there and you've been treated really like a guest and you get all the ability um, it, it's considered impolite to start talking negative stuff. But at the same time, I, I get it, you know, like if there are some issues with, with human rights, and obviously there are, uh, then, you know, then you can't really close your eyes on that topic. So I don't, I don't really, I don't have an opinion, oh, sorry, I don't have a solution. Um, uh, but I think those decisions and those things has to be done on, like on a higher level. Because really, the players, they're just there to train. And to be quite honest, they don't see much outside of hotel on the training pitch. And maybe one shopping center, which they can go on a, on a weekend or like on a day off from the training. So to be quite honest, I'm not sure what the solution. Obviously, there's two two visions. And I don't know how to, how to really find a consensus between those. Yeah, it's a difficult topic, obviously. Um, I think... Maybe the fact that clubs are going there and fans are discussing it afterwards is is something, right? At least, you know, the fact that we're now discussing it on this podcast because it is something that, you know, will need to be addressed. And as we're getting closer to the World Cup, so I hope is something that will be talked about more. Um, maybe that is the positive outcome of this. The fact that clubs are going there um, they themselves, as you said, I, I agree with you, by the way, Tim, when you go there and you're a guest, um, it, you, it's kind of hard to complain about the hospitality, right? Um, and that's how it will be perceived. So I think the fact that the fans afterwards address these issues, I think that's kind of important. So yeah, I, I kind of want to leave it at that. Um, let's talk about the actual results because, um, Tim, I, I think you'd be actually quite happy about the actual results. Uh, I saw, I saw the, I only saw the highlights of the, the final two games. Um, and I want to start with the final and Spartak absolutely hammered locomotive. Yeah, Spartak had a very good game. Uh, so the, uh, we won the, the, the tournament. Uh, it was a group of uh, four teams. So everyone, each team played uh, everyone. And uh, the schedule just worked out that way that the final game between Spartak and Lokomotiv um, was kind of the final. Uh, each team needed to win to secure the trophy. And uh, Spartak won 4 nothing and two goals in each half. Um, Spartak was a better team. Even Yuri Sermin said that um, they really didn't have any chances. Um, that score line is, to me, is a little bit too much because uh, Spartak scored two in the very end. Luis scored two beautiful goals. And um, in the first half, yeah, we started with a very quick goal on the 40th second. So, and there was a period of of game when Lokomotiv was at like three corners in a row and they were... Um, they were dangerous corners, but overall Spartak controlled the game, and uh, it, it it the you know they it seems like they were the better team of this tournament. Um, you know what a little bit concerns me that you know Spartak is so good so early in the season. 
because they definitely they were better than Zenit. And again, I think it's not better in terms of playing. It was just proper conditions. Uh, at the same time, that worries me for Zenit before the European uh, league because, like, I watched Spartak Zenit game and Zenit was really they they're not ready. They they were I'm not sure what what kind of you know what kind of physical training they're going through. But the game against Fenerbahce is, is really soon. Is is what three weeks something like that. Uh, so it gets really worrying. Maybe in those three weeks they will uh, they will gain the condition they are looking for, and maybe right now they're getting through the maximum of their um, you know physical training, and that was on the on the pitch. But um, yeah, that was a little bit my concern for just purely for Zenit for for the Europe. Uh, but Spartak looked good. Um, they played uh, the system with four four two. They they won uh, luckily against Rostov. Uh, they were better than Zenit, and they won uh, three nothing, and then uh, they won against Lokomotiv four nothing. So even the results dictate that Spartak was the best uh, team. Um, but there's still one more month till the till the till till the against game against Ural. So yeah, the game against uh, Fenerbahce team is in two weeks tomorrow. So um, very soon, I think Jan- uh, February twelfth is the is the the um, first leg. So, yeah, so, so no. see, that's a little, little bit worrying because yeah. they were they were really not ready. They were not ready, and it's two weeks. I don't think I don't know what you can do in two weeks. So uh, that's a little bit concerned me. I, I'm sure Zenith coaches they know what they're doing, mm. but but it's still my little bit concerned because really two weeks from now and they were like they were they were tired. There was no really the, the, again the game plan wasn't really obvious. It's yes, yeah, so I'm a little bit concerned about that. What do you think, Andrew? I mean, two weeks from now, they did hammer Rostov 5-0 in that final game. So um, that looked a little better, right? But other than that, I mean, they also lost 3-0 to Spartak, right? And that is probably the level of football that they can expect in in, yeah. the, in the Europa League, right? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's a good way of putting it. I, I would go along with that. Um, it's very hard to to judge Fenerbahce this season, given how dreadfully they're doing in the league. So it's 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 not going to be a simple one to preview. Um, I actually I'm, I will look forward to doing that. It'll be a challenge for the football grad previews getting back into it. But um, I think for Zanit, what worried me the most is the fact that okay, Leandro Paredes is now has now gone. Um, and Claudio Marchisio is the in on paper the senior midfielder. Although of course Christian Nabora, if he I don't know if he's going to be fit for that Fenerbahce game, but um, he's certainly back in training anyway. Um, but Marchisio looks completely lost throughout this tournament. To be honest, he lost possession a couple of times against Rostov, um, and if he can't even hold the ball, he doesn't have the engine to get up and down the pitch. Then I'm not entirely sure what role he's expecting to play. Um, so yeah, there's certainly a lot of question marks for Zanit and no time left to sort them out. Uh, at this point, if I was Semak, I would just simply say, right, okay, <clears throat> we've, we've had our warm weather training little tournament in Qatar, just rest up and just, just work on, work on their tactics in training. Um, because their fitness by now, if it's not ready now, then there's not much point running them into the ground for two weeks when they need to be organized. So, um, I'd be concerned, but then Fenerbahce fans may well be saying the same about Zanit because they look on paper and Zanit are a very strong Europa League side in the first half of the season. Um, Fenerbahce will be thinking, well, we're in trouble. So perhaps perhaps it's a bit of mutual fear that might make this game, this tie, be actually quite even in the end. But um, I certainly have concerns. Yeah, they still got two weeks. I mean, that that is that is kind of important, right? Um I think in those two weeks, a lot of things can happen. That said, it is, it is that first, first game, first game out coming out of the winter break. Um, this has been a place we've seen Russian teams fall so often because the lack of competitive, competitive games. And yes, the match TV cup, um, was supposed to kind of fix that, right? But at the same time, is it the same? And I'll give this to you, Andrew. Do you think that is a competitive enough competition to prepare a team like Sunni to play in 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 an international matchup? Well, I mean the 
to let's be fair for a moment it's it's basically impossible to have something that's competitive enough but it was a step in the right direction but it needs a lot of development certainly because well you could you could tell by the players the a lot of the players selected were understandably rotated um and you you very rarely saw a completely full strength side from um from any of the four sides, really. Um, although, admittedly, when Pavel Maslov came on for Spartak, they looked a completely better side. Yesterday, uh, I was watching. Yeah. I was thinking of you, Andrew. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> this is this is definitely gonna." He'll bring it up on the pod for sure. No bias whatsoever. Guys, <laughs> come on! Look, we we we're, we're playing football grab bingo. You guys have already won two 0 early on in the podcast, so I've got to have my two man Pavel Maslov okay. um, worship session. But um, no, in all seriousness. Um, you talk about the competitive level, how much it's able to prepare. It's better than what previous uh, winter training camps have looked like, where you've seen scorelines well into double figures against sort of third-tier Cypriotites. And it's you just honestly think it would be better to sit at home and, and rest than actually go on a pitch in scorching conditions against a side that's so far off. So at least it was, it was better than nothing. That's about as positive as I can be about it this match TV cup in terms of preparation, but I remain positive because I think it is a step in the right direction. So um, if they can get past the, it's that first tie, isn't it? Um, yeah. Guys, we all, we all know what it's like. Get past the first tie, get back into the season and then they've got a chance. But, um, and like I say, Fenerbahce have their struggles. So it's not a, it's certainly not a foregone conclusion, but that first leg being away from home, is normally when you're in the middle of a season, I actually quite like that. But in for Russian clubs, I'd prefer the first game to be at home, get it under your belt, and then move on to the away leg. So oh, it's going to be tough. Um, but uh, the match TV Cup it, in the future, I think it could be good enough. I, I think it's a good idea to have a tournament like that. I mean, we've, we've talked about the FNL Cup. There's actually um, an article up on footballgrad.com right now previewing the FNL Cup. Um, I did that just for you, Andrew. Just, just for you, you know, had to be done. Um, now I think it's, it's, I, I love the idea of that tournament. It's, it's such a, such a good idea to have an actual full scale tournament that's, that's played over almost an entire month because it gives you that feeling that you're almost playing a little mini league, right? And, um, mm. while, while you see a lot of rotations and guest players, etc., I think it's, it's better than, um, it's better than just playing random friendlies. That's at least how I see it. Well, you know, you, you know what I think is another benefit of that is when you're playing so many of your your teams that you face in the league, you just don't want to lose face. So you know, if you're playing a glamorous round robin tournament against teams from other countries, you're going to sit off a little bit more because there'll be a slightly different mentality approach and perhaps the winter breaks different lengths. But if you're playing against teams that you know you're going to be facing and competing against for your livelihoods in the next few weeks, that's going to up your game psychologically anyway. So I think that's another edge for mm. the, the Fennel Cup. Has. So um, that's the benchmark in terms of, of of winter tournaments for me that the Match TV Cup could be, I think. And Tim, um, you sort of started a little bit in the reaction of Spartak players and the ownership from the articles that I saw in Russian media that there was there was quite a lot of positive um, feedback on it. Yeah, like, uh, well, it's kind of um, interesting story because there was a period when Spartak hasn't won any trophies for 16 years yeah. and the only trophy which uh, Spartak won was Copa del Sol, a uh, uh, pre-season tournament in, in, in Spain. And then, obviously, all the Spartak haters were making uh, good fun of it because they said, yeah, that's the only what you're capable of winning Copa del Sol. So we won the Match TV Cup. I think that kind of goes to addition to that Copa del Sol uh, and adds a little bit more humor if we will continue on that path of not winning a trophy for the, the next foreseeable future. But um, obviously, that's, that's good to just for, for the team mentality it's good to start uh, the season with uh, three victories against your ri uh, rivals well two rivals and Rostov uh, but still all good teams all teams which are competing uh, for the top spots in the league and um, that's just positive for the team and the trophy even you know this little celebration which they had and Glushakov lifted the trophy again that also it gives the winning mentality it's I see only positives in that even if you know if, if we were in different physical conditions like it you know shows 
goes against, especially in the game against Zenit. Uh, but still, winning over Zenit in preseason, uh, it's it's not uh, you know it's not the it's not the most important thing in the world, but it's still uh, pretty pleasant. And especially with um, you know Spartak is really going the way we discussed uh, the outgoing transfers, and uh, there's quite a few young players uh, which Alekonov invited to this uh, tournament, and looks like they will be. Um, at least uh, on the bench throughout the season. It seems like he has the core of 14, 15 uh, experienced players uh, who will be um, in rotation, and then the rest of the bench will be filled with, with, uh, with promising youngsters. So for the young players, it's also a very good experience. Yeah, we won the tournament, we played against uh, our rivals, and uh, we got experience to play against Zenit and Lokomotiv, for example, and Rostov, and uh, we won. Uh, so they also p- feel the part of this winning squad. So um, I see only positives by winning the tournament, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good sign. Good tournament, so I'm, I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, absolutely, um, boys. Let's let's switch it to um, transfers, and there's one transfer in particular I want to talk about. But before we do that, um, it's a neat outgoing transfer. Leandro Paredes to PSG is done. I'm hearing between 48 and 55 million euros, depending on which source you believe. Covered this more or less last week, so. Um, Done, done deal. Um, we, we sort of thought this would happen, um, one way or another. Um, incoming though. So I, I have heard from our source in Argentina that, uh, Wilma Barrios, he's a Colombian midfielder that uh, English fans will know quite well for his antics at the round of 16 match against England where was it a headbutt, Andrew? I think that he was, um, left on the pitch with. Um, he is, he is apparently, apparently he's joining, um, Sinead. And then another, another candidate that has been named another, Arch- and this time an Argentinian, sorry, Wilma Barrios plays in Argentina. He's Colombian. Um, an Argentinian midfielder, Marcos Acuna from Benfica. Um, is this just more of the same? I mean, we've seen so many South Americans come into Sinead. Um, Paredes, as good as a player he was, one of the things that we mentioned is that he isn't, wasn't necessarily completely brought into the Synod system. Well, yeah, I think he, he, his form tailed off quite significantly towards the second part of, well, towards the, the winter period when Zanit usually themselves crumble. Um, but again, I, I said this last week and I actually do want to stand up for it a little bit because he's surrounded by basically a complete mess. Um, there's some very talented players at Zanit and at the beginning of the season, well, even after, what, eight, ten games, we were all saying, well, that's the title over. It's Zanit, um, uh, definitely. But they, I don't know what it is. There's something, there's something woven into the fabric at Zanit that they just cannot hold themselves together the last few years. Um, and Paredes would have looked around thinking, well, Marquisio's come in great, but he's playing like a drain. Um, and, you know, then you've got, the, of course, the Kokorin scandal that robbed them of him for the last few games um, of that part of the season. Juba uh, looked knackered, like we've said a number of times. Um, and then suddenly, when you take a few of those key attacking elements out, Christian Nabor as well, that would have made a big difference to Paredes' performance because he would have had a, a somebody on his wavelength to, to pass to. Um, so I think a lot of the criticism and... I, I'm sensing a hell of a lot of snobbishness as well from English media, actually, because um, there was a lot of talk that Paredes would go to Chelsea um, as backup to Jorginho. Uh, Mauricio Sarri is very, very famously in favour of a regista in defence midfield, which is not a popular position in England. Um, so people sneered at Paredes saying, oh, well, he's no good. He doesn't pass anywhere. They clearly haven't watched a guy. He's a quality player. Um, but uh, I think. It made sense all around the the transfer. They got good money for him, um, and how much of that will be invested or will be able to be invested to adhere to financial fair play remains to be seen. But it can only be a positive if they get genuine, um, uh, you know, original income from his transfer. And in the end, they got Christian Nabal coming back, and like we said last week, they've got plenty of options in midfield. And so I don't think it's, I actually don't think Zanit should be desperately upset. Yeah. Gazprom getting money from Qatar. 
that's the, the, the way I see it. <laughs> um, so we'll, 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 we'll see how Barretas does in, at PSG. He, he is a very good player. Um, don't get me wrong. I do think Paredes is a very good player. Um, Tim, a very good player. Although this is a very controversial move. So before we talk about all this controversy, Zenit did sign a very, very good player in Jaroslav Rakitsky from Schachter Donetsk. This is a, I, I personally really like him as a defender. I know there is, um, personal issues. And again, I want to discuss them separately from before we, before we do anything. I want to talk about him just as a player because he is an excellent player, isn't he? Yeah, well, I'm glad that you gave me the footballing side of this transfer because I, you know, I don't really know what to say about the political side. So, thank you for that. But the uh, yeah, I think this is a great transfer for for Zenit because uh, they really need the um, that one more central defender uh, for for their squad. So I think I think this is a brilliant transfer because uh, Yaroslav Rakitsky is obviously a, a top quality player. He uh, will be motivated. He said himself he's in the peak of his career and uh, but at the same time really you know Znit currently they have um, in terms of uh, central defenders they have Branislav Ivanovic, Luis Nieto who is uh, reported that he is leaving right now, Micha Mevle Emmanuel Mamana and Yaroslav Rakitsky. So if we take out Luis Neto, who possibly is out, there's only four central defenders with addition of Yaroslav Rakitsky. Emmanuel Mamana, he is after the injury. And uh, Branislav Ivanovic, he is also a little bit, you know, he is aging as well. So I, I think addition of a player like Yaroslav Rakitsky is a great transfer, a quality player who who can who definitely will add in terms of playing conditions and um, he's uh, he is very good at starting that attack he has a good pass he has a good uh, long shot and uh, yeah he's a quality player uh, in a position which you need uh, and needs a play quality player so i think from footballing point of view this is a great transfer um, i also think it's you know it's it's a good step for his career uh, if we said uh, the politics aside. Uh, he said that, um, and we know that. And Vadim spoke about this on the on on the pod before, and we discussed that that Euro, uh, that Ukrainian league is with all the political reasons and all the obvious reasons, but still it made a step down. Uh, Shakhtar and uh, Dynamo Kiev are still doing great, but the rest of the clubs are going through some very tough times. And we see clubs disappearing and new clubs appearing in the league, and obviously the quality is not there and he said that that the European uh, sorry Ukrainian league is going through some tough period he as a professional as a football player he wants to grow he wants to play in a stronger league in a more competitive environment and obviously I'm sure the the money aspect is uh, was important to him as well because Zenit can offer him a good deal I think it's reported he's, he will be making 2.5 million which is a very very uh, I don't know how much he was making in Shakhtar but I'm sure that 2.5 is is a good deal for him. So I think this just transfer makes sense for both sides. Uh, for him um, to step to the new league, to the new level, to play in Europe and make good money. And for the Zenit, for Zenit club, because they need a player like him in this specific position, a player of his quality. And, the, and another very, very important thing that he, he doesn't really have to adapt. He knows the language, he knows the traditions. Um, it's, it's not like, a, you know, a Brazilian player coming in and uh, is shocked by snow and doesn't speak the language. He, he will be perfect fit. I think this is a brilliant transfer. And one of my favorite things that he took at number 44, which belongs uh, uh, to former Zenit and Ukrainian captain uh, Timashuk, who also plays for Shakhtar. So I see this transition I, I really like those little, you know, it doesn't mean anything, but I think that's really cool. So I'm all for it, and I think that's a great transfer for all sides. Yeah, I mean, the difficulty, of course, um, I need to address the elephant in the room, Tim, I'm sorry. And don't worry, I'm not going to give you this question, because I, I know where <laughs> you stand with the whole Ukraine-Russia thing, because uh, we've discussed this many times before, and it it is... It is a big debate, though, in Ukraine, right? And um, the, the, the problem for many Ukrainians is Zenit are owned by Gazprom. Gazprom is the company that has shut down the gas pipeline running through Ukraine on several occasions. Gazprom is the wealthiest company in the Russian Federation, a, a, a country that is currently reaching a 
a war in in Donbas or financing a war on the Donbas, right? Um, Imagine if you could dry, detangle, style, and volumize your hair all in one step. Well, it's easy with the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush by Conair. Create beautiful blowout styles at home with a powerful 1,000-watt motor for quick drying and easy glide Flexalite bristles for snag-free detangling. Customize styling with three heat settings and use the cool shot to lock in your look. Ionic technology reduces frizz, bonus attachment volumizes your hair, makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to conair.com for the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush now. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. So I can see why a lot of Ukrainians are very upset about this, this particular transfer. And I did an article on this on footballgrad.com, just outlining some of the feedback that was given, um, after the transfer was announced and, um, Brutalny Football, for example, which is a popular Twitter account and in, in Ukrainian Twitter account that sort of makes fun at times about the football, but can also be as the name suggests, brutal. Um, they just posted a picture of Rakitsky in the Ukrainian national team and um, with the slogan wasted on top of it, right? From, uh, I think it's from Grand Theft Auto. Um, you know, whenever they drive over someone, it says wasted. Um, so, you know, obviously that was, was one of the big outcomes of this, that Ukrainian, a lot of Ukrainians were outspoken. Uh, Filipenko, former national team player, said um he can never ever play for the for the Ukrainian national team again because he's finally shown his true colors and what i mean by that is that Rakitsky has been accused of being supportive of the of the separatists in the Donbas because he's never really said anything about it now i i talked to Vadim about this who unfortunately cannot make this podcast it would have been great to have him on for this because he knows quite a bit about this but he said and um he he heard this on the show Tato Take, which is a very popular um, television show in Ukraine. And I actually know one of the producers of the show personally. And he said one of the reasons, and this this is a quote from the show, that Richard Krakitsky never sings the anthem, the Ukrainian anthem. And this has been one of the things that he's been really heavily criticized. And one of the reasons why people are now saying he's finally showing his true colors. Um, the actual reason he doesn't sing it is because he never learned the words. So because I don't want to use the word dumb, but it's because he's, he, he just doesn't, that, that doesn't interest him. He's a football player, right? Um, Vadim also rightfully pointed out that he always puts his heart over his, his hand over his heart whenever the anthem plays. So uh, is this issue overblown? Uh, is he ignoring politics by going from Gaia Schachter, you know, a team separated, like exiled, away from Donetsk because of a war funded by the Russian government to a club like Zenit funded by the Russian government through Gazprom. Can you separate football from politics? I know, Tim, you said, yes, you can. I, I, I'm not always so sure, right? I, I think there is there's certain things that come to play. But at the same time, I have friends that have moved from Ukraine to Russia to work there. There's 3 million Ukrainians living in Russia today making their money there. What's so different from them to Yaroslav Rakitsky? So there's there's two very important aspects to this. Is is are they making less of a political statement because they're not footballers? Right? It's I think it's a very it's a it's a very it's very much not a black and white debate. It's it's a very many different layers of grey. So um I can see why Ukrainians are upset, but I can also see why why Yarakitsky is doing what he's doing for the very reasons you outlined him. Um, so yeah, a difficult conversation. Andrew, um, maybe I know, I know what you think, Tim, so I'm going to leave you out of this, but I, Tim, uh, Andrew, what do you think? Um, is this something we can really truly separate? What has been the Russian oh. reaction to this? 
I mean, the short answer is, no, you can never truly 100% separate it. But I, I don't think he should be entirely blamed for it because it's it's a career move. Um, I don't think anybody would doubt his commitment to the club while he was playing for them. Um, um, and just but, for the sec too, Andrew, Schachter is getting a lot of money from this. Well, they, they are earning money from it. You're absolutely right. And salaries and transfers are within Ukraine are not very high. So when they do sell a player, usually um, a Brazilian to Manchester City, and they make a fair bit of money. Um, and, you know, to, okay, it's, it's what, 9 million, 10 million euros, whatever the, the, the fee was. Uh, that's, that's a lot of money. Um, but for him himself, he's going to earn more. He's going to test himself at a higher level. Um, and if if I'm being brutally honest, this is going to sound very disparaging, but the truth is, if you're a top player at the top club in Ukraine and you don't have ambitions to go higher than that, instead of playing some fairly fairly average sides every other week, more or less, then you've got to question the player's motivation as a footballer. And I think it seems clear that um, Rakitsky puts himself as a footballer ahead of a representative of Shakhtar or the Donbass first of all and foremost and I think they sh that should be something to be proud of really um, mm. because he's making the most of his ability and his his opportunities but the Ukrainians could argue that he could have gone west right well I, I I don't know I mean how many clubs were actually looking at it if mm. he if he instructed his agent to say right come on get me a move to a decent club somewhere in in the west of Europe Yeah, admittedly, the transfer fee would have been very attractive. Um, and admit, yes, sure, they would have driven the price up more if it had been to a league with more money in it, um, with more money than sense. <coughs> England, <coughs> um, he could possibly have uh, cost more, but even still, it would have been it would have been good value. Um, but then again, there's that risk, like you mentioned, uh, Tim. You mentioned he'll transition culturally, um, linguistically, at least. Um, into the Russian league far more easily than he would into, say, the Spanish league or the English Premier League or the Bundesliga. Yeah, um, it has been done before, but it's much—it's a much easier transition. I think. I think the one last thing I'd mention on this point about the more of a social aspect of it is something you touched upon, man. You mentioned three million Ukrainians working in Russia. I, I've lost track of how many Ukrainians I, I've met and known and still know uh, in in Russia, and it just—it just on a social level it just is not an issue um it's it's a political um well you mentioned the the war in donbass the it's a political tension it's not a social tension um a lot of russians and ukrainians that i've met and i'm only talking from my own experience there will be exceptions but a lot see a, a level of brotherhood in a way um that people will find it hard to believe in western europe given that what they read is centered entirely around the political tension that comes from the the conflict. Um, and Rakitsky will be a popular player. He's got an aggressive style. He's an advanced um, passer of the ball. And he's a good quality defender, which Zanit haven't had for, for a while, really. So he will be respected. He'll be welcomed. And quite honestly, I think his reception in Russia will be, will be perfectly fine. The reception to his departure from Ukraine, on the other hand, like you mentioned and covered uh, in depth, I think is going to be in sharp contrast. But in Russia, at any lead, at any rate, he he will be welcomed. I think. I think you know this entire this this story is so interesting because there is this paradox when you when you look at Russian Ukrainian relationships that, and I've seen this so many times, and I've spent time in both countries, and you know this, Andrew and Tim, you know this too, and. Um, I am actually going to bring you in in a second here, Tim, just, just to underline this. I've met many, many Ukrainians and Russians in both countries, in Ukraine and in Russia. And they discuss and be together and hang out together and are friend on very good friendly terms. The paradox for me about this conflict, and this, this is in very many regards, is very similar to what we saw in Yugoslavia in the 1990s. And when you, when you look at the relations between people from the Balkans now, I mean, we have this, this Bundesliga project in Eintracht Frankfurt where there's many players from all over the Balkans unified 
to play for the same club and do very well together on very good terms with each other because they have that same kind of background, cultural background, right? Um, it is so close, those two countries, and so entangled in the history that this conflict is a brother, brotherhood conflict in some ways, which makes it so difficult. But at the same time, they're so entangled historically with the links that the two countries had dating back for hundreds of years that people are still moving back and forward between the two countries to work, to live, intermarried, family, etc. It's it's such an entangled mess that it makes it really hard to really see it in black and white. And I think this is really the one thing that you take away from this transfer. In the end of the day, Rakitsky went east because it's probably easier for him. He doesn't strike me as a character that, that, that would find it easy to adapt into a Western European culture, right? So that, that is something that has to be kept in mind. But Tim, how often have we talked, the two of us, even just on a personal level, about the, the soccer team that you, for example, play for in Vancouver, where you have Ukrainians, Russians, the, the one thing that is the common denominator for you guys is the language and the cultural background. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, we, we hang out like, like we're not from Russia, Ukraine, like we are from USSR. Uh, and we, like, I was born in USSR, and when I was born, Ukraine was a part of the country, and growing up, it, it wasn't any different. So, well, I've said many times on this on this podcast that I'm not a very big fan, obviously, of this conflict, and, um, you know, I was I was hoping that, yeah, maybe that uh, transfer could be, because they, they, they've been talking about it for a while, so maybe this transfer could be uh, first step, and maybe if it goes uh, easy enough, then maybe a few other transfers will follow, and at least on footballing level, uh, this conflict uh, will slightly uh, go down. But um, yeah, but then on on Ukrainian side, obviously there was explosion. See, like that's it's. It, I, I'm maybe it is maybe it's blown out of proportion because I'm just looking at, at the Russian media and they don't really talk about the political side. They talk yeah. a lot about football. I know uh, that they, too. They mentioned the political side, but I think this is maybe it is done that certain people who in whose interest to blow it out of proportion for political reasons, maybe they kind of edit the extra layer of that media coverage. So that's uh, that's there. So I think maybe it's it's not maybe you know a, a clear cut that you know the whole Ukraine now hates Rakitsky. I think there are some media games also involved because I'm looking for like the places like Sports Row in my own Twitter account. Um, the, p- people just notice that something, you know, that Ukrainians are going crazy about it. But at the same time, p- the majority of talk is about football. That Yaroslav uh, Rakitsky will be a perfect fit uh, as a player. So um, maybe there's, the, you know, maybe there are some games being played and some media stuff which is happening at the, at the Ukraine. And somebody uses that transfer in their own political interests. Yeah, I think that there's also not one opinion on this in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I when I looked at a poll that was, I mean, where 53% said he shouldn't be playing for the national team anymore because he can't separate politics from football. But at the same time, 47% said that politics and football should be separate. And that just shows you how controversially debated this this is. And I think I, you're absolutely right when I did the research for my article um, I, I didn't see anything about the political debate in Russia. And I, I find this in Russia in general, the, the whole conflict in the Donbass is almost ignored in the public eye. It, I find it, it's almost similar to the discourse about Afghanistan and about the Afghanistan conflict that took place in the 1970s and 80s when the Soviet Union were involved in Afghanistan. The public eye very much tried to ignore it, right? Um, because that was a way to sort of not deal with the reality of it um, because it was an uncomfortable reality. So I think there is that aspect. And then also you have to see that Ukraine in itself is not a united country uh, in many regards. There is a strong east-west divide between um, the very west of the country that's very, very, very nationalistic and the rest of the country that really doesn't really have that strong of a cultural identity. 
So I think that makes this, this, this makes this topic very interesting and this debate very interesting. But Yaroslav Rakitsky is a Russian speaker, not a Ukrainian speaker. So that, 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 that is another aspect that has to be kept in mind here as well. Um, people within Ukraine have different, different views and perspectives about this whole idea. So, um, I think it is an interesting debate and I think it is, it's going to be really fascinating to see whether he's going to be called up for the national team or not. Um, I think Chevchenko, might just ignore because Chevchenko has, of course, not always been an uncontroversial figure in Ukraine as well because he, for a long time, refused to give interviews in Ukrainian, right? He always speaks in Russian. Um, so I'm curious to see whether he will just go by the sporting aspects, which I suspect he will, or whether he will keep politics in mind. Um, boys, I want to have, we have one final topic to discuss, speaking about national teams. And this is something that, it's kind of going to affect our neck of the woods a little bit, Tim. Um, although I don't think really is Sada Asmun. There has been links to the Vancouver Whitecaps. Now Sada Asmun is, is a very good player. Um, if he comes here, hooray. It'd be great to see him, but, um, maybe not so fast, right? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, based on the news, they're competing with uh, Zenit and Petersburg, who offered 10 million to Rubin to, um, for Serdar Azmun. Serdar Azmun has been very successful and he um, played in, um, for, for Iran in, in different year, in different World Cup, oh sorry, different tournaments and he, um, is well known striker in in Russia and he has been following uh, Kurban Birdey from Rubin to Rostov and then back to Rubin and he definitely has this connection to Kurban Birdey and he gets the um, the best out of him uh, but um, um, yeah he's been it, it, we had so many different rumors about his future he's been linked to in the past to Liverpool now he's linked to Vancouver Whitecaps which I found very fascinating well I would love if he can come here and we can watch him play every week I would actually be excited of that but if you're competing with uh, the offer from from Zenit uh, which is apparently 10 million dollars I think um, he he will pick um, obviously Zenit um, interesting transfer also for, for Zenit in, in, interesting offer given that they have Zuba uh, Zabalotny they're definitely uh, missing a player uh, in the front with uh, Kakorin being in prison and also they have Sebastian Driussi so interesting if if they, if they will get one more player and what his role will be, um, but yeah, we just have to wait a little bit. Uh, I'm a little bit ahead of myself. Um, interesting to see. Hope maybe by the next week we'll have a little bit more info. But definitely, um, he is a very talented player, a very skillful player um, who can do a lot. He can. He, he is very good in the air. He is a bit physical. He is quick. Um, interesting player and um, yeah, I'm curious to see where he ends, up, he ends up but yeah, I would rather see him in Vancouver Whitecaps because I don't want to Zinni to get stronger Yeah, no, I think we all would rather see him uh, maybe yeah. except for Andrew because he wouldn't see very much of him anymore but yeah, he's a he's a very, very good player we have we've followed his career for quite some time, he he has um, through Ori Levy, I was able to um, get some details about this and um, the, the Asmund camp is, is very determined to have him stay in Europe. So it would take a quite a big offer to get him over to North America. The Whitecaps want to become a stepping stone club. They want to do copy in some ways what Atlanta United have done, right? Um, find players, give them tons of playing time. And then move him on. I, I, I don't know if Sada Asmund would be interested by this because he is at a stepping stone club already. And if he goes to Sunit, uh, the chances of playing Champions League next year are, are very, very high. Um, same with Anderlecht, which is another club that's been rumored. And then uh, Lazio has, has also entered the fray. So there's so lots of competition. Andrew, um, I think that, that to say Whitecaps, it's, it's probably not going to be easy for them. Um, I should maybe also mention that you pay 50% tax in, in, in Vancouver and only 13% in Russia. So, um, it's not going to be easy for them, but for Sydney, that might be exactly the player that they need because, um, he could replace Kokorin. Well, I'm, I'm a bit torn on this. I'm not entirely sure he's, um, well, I mean, firstly, if they did sign him, they would have to, they'd have to sell Anton Zabalotny. And to be honest with you, I've always been, I've always been a bit disappointed with the negative criticism Zabalotny himself gets because I actually think he's a better player than people give him credit for. Um, 
and he's never he's never quite had the rub of the green. He's he's he works hard and he creates chances for others, but he just can't seem to finish enough. And I think that counts against him. So any any player that comes in for Zanita up front and Zablot is gonna be the fourth guy. But if you think about the role that, that Aswin plays, he's more mobile than um Artem Zuba. Um so perhaps they could play together and they would they would be a quite remarkable aerial presence uh, as a pair. Um, the thing with Kokorin, which I actually find him very hard to replace because he's so quick, but also so versatile. I was I was impressed by his maturity on, on the pitch, certainly not his maturity off it, um, non-existent, um, but his maturity on the pitch at any rate, it's uh, being moved out wide and not complaining about it um, over the last season. It's very hard to replace that. So, I'm not. I'm not sure. It depends on the system that Semak is prepared to change to. If he's prepared to go with a, a three-five-two, which I suspect is what he wants to do now that Rakitsky has come in, then it could actually probably work. Um, so you may well be right. It could be the answer to to give Zanid, um a another option, and also to give poor Artem Zuba a bit of a rest. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the the window on this. Um, I know the Russian transfer window doesn't close till later, but the window for this one is actually tomorrow because Sinit one are playing in Europe, right? And um, they need to register him. So um, the the window for Sinit to make a move on this is actually January 31st um, or February 1st, sorry. I think it's when you have to register players for UEFA competitions. So whether or not he goes to Sinit, I think we'll find out Um tomorrow um that's that's basically the deadline on this and this is also i guess when a lot of white caps fans will kind of watch this um personally i think it's great for the white caps that they're targeting someone like him because it shows the intent to spend that uh alfonso davies money very well so uh i guess we'll, we'll find out a bit more um of what's happening um by the winter transfer deadline window when it closes finally shut um speaking of closing shut that's it boys we're done um andrew i'm gonna go to you first um, what's going on in your life? What have you been up to? Um, Flo is yours to, yours to promote whatever you want to promote. Oh, I'm uh, I'm waiting waiting anxiously, of course, for the Fanel Cup to start, and um, I'll be watching that religiously. But uh, yeah, the just just waiting for the Russian season to start. Um, I the bubble was burst last night. Manchester United not winning for the ninth game in a row. I'm very disappointed. So I need some Russian football to balance me out, but. Yeah, just working on TotalFootballAnalysis.com, um, editing pieces every day. Um, some North American analysis, actually. Tyler Adams, a good piece a couple of days ago. On there. So if you're interested in North American football, certainly have a little look there. Um, and a piece of Fyodor Chalov a week ago as well. So some good good content. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And, and go check that out. Um, you must be excited too to, to see Liverpool maybe win today and... Um, you know, make a big step towards that title, Andrew. Um, can't, can't wait to see your reaction. Uh, I'm not going to let you speak on this. <laughs> dare say another word. <laughs> okay. Um, Tim, how about you? Andrew, I'm curious, uh, is, uh, Ural and Tibetan in the same group at the FNL Cup? Are you going to watch, be watching uh, the game? No, unfortunately not. Um, oh. they've, res- they've sensibly kept the two strongest sides apart, so they couldn't fight. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we're in Group B. They're in Group C, which means I think we'll be uh, yeah we'll meet in the final. Oh, okay, okay, makes sense because I was uh, curious if you will uh, do a live tweet of the game for us and uh, you know do the full analysis <laughs> and tactical <laughs> everything else because that's what football grad listeners need. Uh, but yeah, I've been I've been very very busy. I'm planning quite a few events with uh, with music with uh, stuff I'm doing in Vancouver and um, yeah, I'm also waiting for the season to start. Uh, we have a massive game against Ural uh, in the cup. Uh, Spartak and then the the season so the FNL Cup oh sorry FNL Cup the Match TV Cup gave a little bit of hope so yeah it should be interesting uh, people can find me on Instagram Rocket from Russia and on Twitter at uh, Russian Tim 61 yeah and, and give the man a follow uh, will you um, yeah you, you can find all this content and everything that we do in the Football Grad Network at Football Grad Live so um Podcasts, articles, scout reports, historic stuff, all at Football Grad Live. Um, so please give that a follow. You can follow me at Manuel Weff. Um, I 
do this time of the year mostly do transfer rumors and um tweeting out my articles and every once in a while I'll give controversial opinions about Toronto FC. So you can follow me at Manuel Weff to do check all of that out. <laughs> um yeah, that's it from from this week, guys. Until next week, Dos Vidanya. <laughs> get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper and now adult beverages with drizzly drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer wine and spirits then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes and right now drizzly's giving all new customers five dollars off their first order just enter promo code easy five at checkout download the drizzly app or go to drizzly.com that's d-r-i-z-l-y.com Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.